Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. In three, two, one. All right, Richie, thank you so much for that uh, that opening there. Welcome, everybody, to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak Brand Camo, the Gamekeeper Studio. And uh, Taxi's letting out a deep sigh there. That there it, is well, literally, probably count them on one hand, for sure could count them on my hands, people that would pull me off of a tractor right now, what I'm particularly working on. So. With rain in the forecast. And, I'm actually, I can't believe Bobby, he's here. Bobby, oh. sorry, you're not one of them. Uh, yeah, for no. real. I knew he wouldn't come for us. Well, I got a text early this morning. Hey, I'm going to be doing this. And I said, oh, don't, uh, don't, did you forget? And he was like, uh. I'll be, I'll be there. So, so look, today, Lanny, let me set the stage. Lanny's sitting here, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. That's Dudley right. is back after his three weeks of traveling. So uh, I almost tra- died, y'all. Going to Ricky Martin concerts and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of the table, we got the boss sitting down there in, uh, in uh, his usual green T-shirt. Folks are going to think you only have one T-shirt, Toxie. He loves a cotton T-shirt. And let me tell you what, those things are comfortable. They are. I mean, super comfortable. Yeah. And then at the other end, on the guest couch, we've got one of our favorite guests. One of. Don't hurt his feelings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Michael Chamber. All right. We call him Mike. And uh, everybody, we've talked so much about turkeys, but today we're going to kind of we're going to shift gears a little bit yeah, and talk about for, deer. This deer is call. exciting. You know, like we, we talk about his profession all the time. But, you know, now we're going to talk more about what we're passionate about. I mean, I know he's passionate about turkeys, but... I, I, the look in his Sometimes eyes this morning when I was a, talking to him, he's really passionate about that. Well, he deer, said, right? he, yeah. let's let him say, he yeah. said he's mad at him. Yeah, he's mad at him. <laughs> yeah, I, I get mad at deer. <laughs> I don't get mad at turkeys. I just take it in stride. But, you know, it's get, getting your tail kicked by, by Tom is, is fun. Getting your tail kicked by a mature buck is... Makes me mad. It sounds like a scene out of a movie. He doesn't yeah. get. You wouldn't like me if I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> well, so before we dive down the subject, it just one thing I saw over the weekend. Our our friend Brian Murphy, we, we oh, we've wow. done it a long time. He yeah. put That's a post right. that he was checking on some ladder stands over the weekend, <laughs> and climbed up. And right before he got to the top of a stand, then the seat he could see a head looking down at him. Uh oh. And he. That- he backed up. After he had been wrapping ratchet straps and stuff all around that stand. 
Actually, it was a timber rattler. In the folded up seat with the head sticking out. Yeah, I've had a wasp nest in there before. So did he get it? Well, yeah, I don't know what happened, but he fortunately he didn't stick his head up over the seat to. I mean, that could have been really uh-uh. bad. Uh-uh. Stop, Richie, Richie, stop Richie, Richie, it. Richie, this stop is the wrong it. time of year for that stuff now. <laughs> stop. Real. No kidding. Stop. <laughs> I got a lot of waiting to do through grass and cut over and stuff like that. I, I've just never heard of one being up <laughs> in a tree. Hey, oh, Mike, have I, you? No. I, that puts the word timber rattler has a whole new connotation he, to it. Man. So he was open, but he didn't get bit. He did not get bit, Oof. but it was a three-foot. It's a wonder rattler. he didn't fall. Yeah, it would have scared me. I wonder how he got up in there. I don't know. He had to climb up in there. Bobby grabbed a cottonmouth in his wood duck box one time. I stepped on one. Sure did. Watched him strike my boot, and it scared me so bad. He's still running. I've been struck twice. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. I hate him. Have you ever been envenomated? No. One time I I was chasing a turkey and stepped over a log, and one bit the back of my calf in a lacrosse boot. The other time I was actually here. <laughs> I, I was of course, on, I was on Twin Oaks Wildlife Management Area. I was putting up a. I can't. We're not going to talk about turkey, so I was putting up a blind to capture <laughs> birds of some sort. Of some sort, <laughs> and he had he or she, I don't know what it was, and I didn't ask, had gotten in the blind with me, and they weren't pop up blinds at that time. They, we we just literally took mossy oak this fabric right here on this table, mm-hmm. and wrapped it around posts and stuck the sticks in the mm-hmm. ground, you know. And I was up on a chair trying to push the sticks down in the mud as quietly as I can because the birds were roosted fairly close to me. And I stepped off of that chair and stepped right on. Mm. Wow. Hit me in the back of the, basically the the ankle. (laughs) And I didn't catch those birds because I spooked them. (laughs) Um, In fact, I I probably spooked things that were on Delta National Forest across the river. I screamed (laughs) like a schoolgirl. Yeah. And I screamed repeatedly as I was running off. I was screaming. It scared me so bad. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I learned the smell of a cottonmouth was that. Oh, it's Because my dog got struck in Baton Rouge in the face. And when she came running into the house, I smelled. I was laying on, on the floor watching a NASCAR race, and she came by me. And when she came by me, I smelled it. Smelled it. And I spun around, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I knew as soon as I smelled it, it oh. my dog had been struck by a cottonmouth, and it was from stepping on that joker, trying to put that. What do you think they smell like? Stink. It's just a musky. It's musky, nasty. It smells like a brim bed to me. I have to put it that no, way. it's not that. Yeah, it's, it's worse than that. It's, it's disgusting yeah. to me. It's it's nasty. Yeah. So I got a fun analogy, Bobby. I just popped in my head listening to him talk when he said, "I'm not going to talk about turkeys." Have y'all seen the progressive insurance? This having him here. And with me here, too, and saying that we're just not going to talk about turkeys reminds me of the progressive commercial in Flo saying she's not going to talk about insurance. <laughs> That's, right. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, just uh, we'll try not to. Well, look, are y'all, uh, are y'all seen, have y'all got cameras out seeing any velvet bucks? Is anybody going to mm-hmm. be honest about it? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, we got one honest person over here. Yeah, I've been drooling already. Well, one of the things I was going to try to do today was actually put a few out. I have uh, one left from turkey season that's like a live senior picture camp. It's actually where I can see a road coming in and out of somewhere for kind of security purposes mm-hmm. or just keeping up with everything. And Absolutely. I've seen a couple of pretty nice bucks walk by, but nothing, nothing 
Yeah. Only good bucks have seen her on your camera. That's all I got. Bobby, yeah, the the definition of split second is when Bobby gets a great picture on his place and he takes it to everybody. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but I've been texting any pictures this year. I I noticed this massive. There used to be this pallet of deer feed back there, the BCP, right. and he said he said told everybody it's like go get get you know put test what, this stuff what out. Pallet? Yeah, well I went back there and there was two bags, and <laughs> and and I'm like what happened to all the BCP in a matter of three days? And then he had to break the pictures out. So so BC yeah. but the beach obviously stands for Bobby Cole. Bobby Cole's Bobby, product. Bobby, I, I never thought about that. That's all right, let's, let's keep this. I'm like, you see how things deteriorate right here. The deer yeah. well fed at the Ponderosa. Yeah, they yeah. like that BCP. It, Mr. It, Haney it, has it, a target it, on his back all the time down there. Get some Officer Haney. Spot. So, look, I'm really proud to announce we have a new sponsor. And it's Springfield Armory, right. and they're they're sponsoring us with their pistols. I had a couple laid around here for the everybody to look at, but that 1911 is a. They sent one uh, it's around here somewhere in a 45 ACP. 1911 oh. is the, probably the most classic, quintessential. Yeah, I mean, timeless, timeless pistols yeah. there are. So, Handy. cocked and locked. Well, as gamekeepers, we all need to have some a sidearm with us when we're working on a property. And well, just like you talked about the snakes. Oof. That's why you never I'm know what you're going into. No, that's the main reason to have them where we are. Yeah, yeah that's that's right. And pigs, you know, there's a chance you might encounter oh, some pigs. Yeah. So having a sidearm is a, oh, it's or a meth head, you know. You never yeah. know. You, you know, back at the boat <laughs> ramp, you know. Right. Yeah, they yeah. did get shot at gator hunting last year. Yeah, so while we're on 1911, uh, Springfield Armory, so they're going to sponsor this new thing that we're doing. Dudley, you don't even know about this yet, but we're okay. calling uh, your questions rapid fire. The rapid fire. Yeah, yeah. So Springfield Armory is going to be spring. So, Mike, to get to know you just a little bit better, we've uh, like put we together, to. yeah. put well, together some questions yeah. and, uh, and let the world kind of know your tastes. And so uh, <laughs> you, you, so you got to be quick. Yeah. And if you, if, if you don't like either one of the options, you can say neither. Some are going to be. Richie, Richie, have the delete button handy. Yeah. You better get ready. (laughs) All right. You ready? Uh, Rapid fire. Rapid fire time. Brought to you by Springfield. Mm -hmm. Armory. Springfield Armory. Livers or gizzards? Neither. Wheat or white? Wheat. Upland or bottomland? Bottomland. Shed hunt or turkey scout? That's the same. (laughs) (laughs) Sports. Red and black or maroon and white? Red and black. Peanuts boiled or roasted? Boiled peanuts are disgusting. Dukes or helmets? Mm. Oh. <laughs> Dukes is, is a no-brainer. Ah. American or cheddar? Cheddar. Tomatoes fried or regular? Fried. Cornbread or roll? Cornbread. Travel hunt or home hunt? Travel. Soybeans or corn? Corn. Muzzleloader 50 cal or 45? Muzzleloader. Club sandwich or Reuben? Club, for sure. And last but not least, Luke Bryan or Luke Combs? My man, Luke Combs. Hey, <laughs> Boom. that's it. Our man, too. That's right. There you go, Dudley. Thank you, Dudley. That was well, good. We, we yeah. got a little insight. I feel like I know you a little better now. There's nothing. Now, the wheat and white, I'm going to have to rescind one thing. If it's a tomato sandwich with Dukes, it's got to be on white. It's got to be white. No right. question. It has to be white. Are you yes. a Dukes man too, Toxie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like them both. Like them both. Yeah. There's just certain ones I don't like. Right. But there's several brands that are fine. Yeah. Well, from the very first 
time, my first recollection to being around you somewhere, you love mayonnaise. He's a connoisseur. I mean, like a yep. whole jar. Right? <laughs> yeah. And yep. Dudley's a connoisseur of ketchup. He's, yeah, I like I like it all. But Del Monte ketchup, if you can find it, I, I have to order it on Amazon. It's just it's got a better flavor. And I, I'm a I'm a ketchup guy too, and he's right. Especially he with fried deer meat. Yeah, with fried deer meat, it's killer. Okay, all Sorry. right. So let's let's refocus, Mike. I'm gonna ask you one question to get this kicked off. But okay. what a what is it about deer and deer hunting that we just all obsess over? What is that? What does it mean to us that we don't realize that it means to us? I think in a lot of ways, because of the time of year that you that you hunt deer, I think it becomes kind of visceral with you because the world is transitioning into this, this cooler, uh, leaves are turning, this green environment we've been in for months is changing and that's one of the things about deer hunting i enjoy the most is watching the fall progress into winter watching the environment change being able to 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 wear actually clothes you know you know Mm -hmm. instead of sweating and then i think it's just i mean for me it's it's identifying a deer or multiple deer and killing them. I mean, it's as it's, it's odd and crazy as that sounds. I mean, it's that to me is beat them at their own game if you can. And it just becomes, to me, it becomes, it, it's a visceral part of me. And mm-hmm. my wife will tell you it's, it's fanatical. Like, just, he's crazy. He, he's lost his mind. <laughs> you and 10 million of them. Yeah, I tell yeah, you what, yeah, they, I, you know, it. it's built into our. Psyche, yeah. I think it's our yeah. fabric. Yeah. Right, you didn't say the word, but what it speaks to is there is a mystery about it, different than you know turkeys or ducks or some of those. And you stuff. know turkeys, it's, it's almost <laughs> the exact opposite. Yeah. You're coming out of this winter doldrums right. and lull, and the world's waking up That's again. Right. And you know that that gobble. Here we go again. Yeah, <laughs> that gobble pierces the environment. And and on the flip side, at least with me, you know, I'm anticipating the rut. I'm, I'm looking forward to this, you know, these bucks being on their feet and moving and and being in a situation where I can, I can be there when he makes a mistake. That that to me, and it's unlike with turkeys, which is you know, you're you're engaging, you're interacting, it's constant. With deer hunting, with me, and I'm not a patient person. I'm the antithesis of patience, but I can sit in a deer stand for weeks. And hunt the same deer over and over and over, and I'd never get tired of it. Mm, wow. I can sit there. I read. I, Bobby, I read one of your books. I read and I think, and I try to stay off my phone, and I just sit there silently. And my my kids will tell you. I, I never forget. Austin used to tell me he's like, "How do you not move? <laughs> like you sit here for like six or eight hours, and like Boy. you don't move." That's what my dad was. I couldn't believe it. I'm, I, I'm definitely not that way. I don't <laughs> No, me neither. <laughs> I can sit there and just look out, you know, the windows of the stand, the or I can sit there in a lock-on and just sit there for hours and hours and hours. And it, I don't even know that the time is slipped. You know, it's like, oh, it's, you can't, it's 11 o'clock. You can't. Uh, I've always said, you know, people talk, what, you know, what makes a great hunter? You know, what's a, what's a great turkey hunter out there? I go talking about it. But deer hunting is like that. You have to have that patience. It's mm-hmm. not just 
doing all this and scouting and tar, uh, uh, patterning one. And I mean, you've got to have patience. And it's statistically just the hours spent, you know, in a smart way, you know, in the right place the with the right wind and all that. That's but the key. Spending those hours. But I suspect there is subconsciously he has this connection with nature. Because if you don't, you, you would be just – about to jump out yeah. and stand. I can't wait any longer. This is so boring sitting around here waiting. But when you're out there, and that's, that's your peace with the world on top of the competitiveness yeah. and, yeah. Um, you know, the, the obsession with it, it makes for such a great time spent. You know, it's therapy, yeah. honestly. Mm-hmm. I can think better when I'm outside. It's a church pew, yeah, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. It should be. Yeah. And yeah. then if, you, and if you're confident – then it makes it a lot easier to well, sit any there any second. Time. Yeah, sure. You, today's world, you've done your homework more with cameras, especially. Mm, right. So that in- anticipation, it could happen any time, is so much greater. When I was a kid, you always dreamed about it. We always used to say one. Kahuna, yeah, remember, you yeah. know, was he's out there. I know he's there. But it was also kind of in the back of your mind a pipe dream, too. Mm-hmm. Now, Bobby's the hopeless romantic that <laughs> thinks Kahuna's there if he's hunting in the neighborhood. But – Today, you know, when you go in, most of the time, it's, it's what you look for. Yes, a lot closer to reality. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun to be surprised, right. like to see something oh, you didn't know was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Well, that lets you extend your hunting season, too, I mean, because you're getting ready for hunting season. I mean, everybody right now, you know, it used to didn't start till deer season started, but now it's way before then. So the, the the fall and the winter, the deadly, the the acorns are starting to fall. That's yeah. so exciting, and then it, it's nourishing, and, the, and those, the, the deer are or become patternable, so to speak, when you when you do your homework and find the right tree or find the right food source that they're on, and it, uh, it it's a puzzle piece that you can put together. It's very satisfying. And uh-huh. Mike, I'm picturing you sitting when you talk about sitting there so long. You've put that. You think you've done your homework. You uh-huh. think you're sitting in the right spot, and that allows you to have those patience. Set that yeah. trap. The other, you know, the other thing that I've realized as I've gotten older, and I hope better at deer hunting. Is that, you know, to Toxie's point about having the right conditions to be sitting there, you know, I'll, I'll sit in stands that I have no idea what, if, if there's even a deer anywhere around there, because the conditions aren't right for me to go hunt the deer I'm after or the two deer I'm after. And I, I've killed a lot of really nice deer doing that, mm-hmm. that I, I can't go hunt buck number one. So, this stand over here is a really good southeast wind stand, you know, and I can get to it quietly and I can sit there patient. And I just, I've been successful enough doing that because I, it doesn't matter who I'm after. I'm always trying to hunt as smart as I can that I've been able to kill a lot of really nice deer and had no idea that they even existed there. You know, no pictures of them ever. Um, and in some ways I've kind of gone back to not even worrying about the pictures, you know, just, on the properties that I hunt, I'm confident enough to know that we've done our jobs and they're, they're nice deer there. I, I know who they are. I mean, we have pictures of them in the summer and on our camera surveys. Just just go be smart and hunt. And if you put in your time, you're going to encounter a nice animal. You know, There's, there's a really good tip for guys to pay attention to right there because, you know, you may go to sleep thinking, oh, boy, I sure want to go hunt. Uh, you know, the stand by the creek. But when you get up that morning, the wind may be totally wrong for that, and mm-hmm. you don't need to go hunt it if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's so always the more been. I listen to the really, really good ones, more and more and more, and I think as time goes on, more people are listening, you know, modern communication, more people mm-hmm. get to hear from that. Right. It's like 
so, I mean, I go to like one of our brethren who's as good as there is probably, uh, Mark Drury, and he is so anal about <laughs> getting to a stand. You know, first of all, wouldn't even think about getting to us going to a stand if the conditions aren't perfect. Yeah. He might wait for weeks and weeks and weeks, yep. and his whole fall is around that particular. You know, he might – I've heard him say, it's been six weeks waiting, and now I can finally hunt that stand. But also, the links that they all go to to be sure, like hang the stand without – you know, you, it's a mindset. It's not that you can pull it off, but the mindset is, I'm going to find the place. I'm going to hang the stand. I'm going to go back and get to the stand and hunt that stand with the intent of not having no, he has no idea I'm even in the world, yeah. you know, and that goes to not just sight, but, you know, sound and smell, especially mm-hmm. smell. And there's a, there's like a, an, an intention, almost a subconscious intention to the really, really good ones and lop that on top of that, the patient. That I has. can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many days I've sat somewhere only because the condition said you can't go sit over where you want to hunt. Yeah. I, I mean, probably five times as many times as I've actually gone and hunted where if I could have picked, I'd go there. I don't because I just, I can't, you know, the mm-hmm. wind's wrong or, or I can't get there. Like for instance, morning hunts. That's one of my, that's, I, I think we screw up a lot of situations while morning hunts. Oh, big time. Yeah. And it's just, you know, access and, and you don't know what's out there. You don't know where any animals are, at least during the day, you know, for afternoon hunts, you can kind of predict based on your bedding areas and your cover. You can kind of predict there's not going to be animals on this approach. But, man, in the mornings, it's just such a crapshoot. And I really think we I think we undermine ourselves sometimes on our morning hunts because we don't know what's there. Yeah, I think if you hunt food in the mornings, I for me, I think I've messed, I've wasted more. And of course, time in the woods is not a waste. Yeah. But as far as any potential success, dear hunt, I've wasted more mornings hunting at food. Mm-hmm. Typically, it's acorns, but it could be other stuff. There, there. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times I blow deer out trying to get in the stand. I'm out of careful. And then I see nothing, even if I stay all morning. Mm-hmm. And so that's my thing. It's like a great morning spot is so hard to find, but it's like I like, I like the Bible verse, like precious yeah. and rubies and gold. Mm. Uh, and, and typically it's travel. Yeah. And it's the great thing about a travel spot is you could, if you approach and hunt on the right wind and stuff, you can hunt it a lot maybe, you know, because they pass by. They're not there when you get down. And, and – Typically, a great one is somewhere in pretty close proximity to where the bedroom is. Yeah, I've actually, I've gotten to where if, and this may sound bizarre, but if it's really muddy and it's noisy walking, um, and it's it's cold, you know, like it gets late season, I'll actually I'll actually park way way off, and let it start getting light enough for me to see, and I'll it may take me thirty minutes to get to the stand. Because I'll just ease along as quietly as I can, trying not to squish or, squ- you know, and knowing that if it's super, super cold, your deer movement's kind of, you know, slowed down at daylight anyway, it may be eight or nine o'clock before you start seeing deer. But if you had blown in there in the dark, like to Toxie's point, you may have boogered the whole morning up, you know. And I'm assuming you you know enough uh about weather patterns and thermals and things like that, but... uh I 
I'm not a good sleeper, and I always end up sleeping in a little bit during deer season. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's not like I'm the master deer slayer or anything, but I've I've had better luck. Um, like you said, tiptoeing in a little bit late. The uh, the thermals are still uh, dropping overnight, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. um, and they don't change until the sun hit. You know, I hunt hilly land and so that doesn't change until the sun comes up and starts hitting the ground right. so a lot of these early birds that are sitting there in the dark all their scents going downhill to where all the deer have been all night yeah one one thing this is a uh, this is kind of funny one one reason i started doing that is having kids that were afraid of the dark so yeah hey we'll we'll wait you know you got a five-year-old daughter that's like, well, I want to go, but it's cold this morning, and I don't like walking in the dark because there's pigs and bears that would attack you, or you know, in her mind. It's like, well, okay, no problem. We'll wait until 7 o'clock and walk in. And you start reflecting back through the years, and I do. I keep a tab. I, I, I make notes of every single hunt I make. Wow. Um and have been for years. So I, I'll, I'll look back, you know, periodically and realize, okay, I saw just as many, if not more animals. And in my, based on my records, I've seen more animals, particularly on, on cold mornings. I've seen many more animals, multifold. Mm -hmm. If I went in after I could see and I could pick my way very carefully, sometimes standing for 10 minutes motionless because I heard something to the north of me and I'm not sure if it's a squirrel or what it is. And a lot of times it, it ended up being deer that had I not just decided I'm, I'm 200 yards from the stand, I'll stand here quietly for a little while and just see what's happening. Sure enough, eight minutes down the road, here comes a fawn milling around eating acorns or whatever. Had I kept going, I would have bumped that. He or she would have taken off the doe that. Ball game. So is it safe to say that if given the opportunity to hunt, you know, you could pick, you would prefer hunting afternoons over oh, yeah, mornings for, for deer? Sure. That, man, the afternoons are magical to me because you're sitting there and you're like, it could happen any minute, any second, any second, any second, you know. And the later it gets, the more you're – gets better. Yeah, yeah. and you're, comp you're so confident. You're so confident. Here, you know, he's, And then that first doe and fawn walk out and you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. And then the first rack shows up. You're like, oh, yeah. And then uh, a two-year-old, then a four-year-old shows up, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's coming. And most of the time, of course, he doesn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. But your mind tells you as you get closer and closer to dusk, the game's about to be on. That That's, to me, I, I love that feeling. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like you were talking about it being like a gospel, like a church. To me, when that hunt is over and it's dark, it's pitch black, and I'm waiting on a, a ride from somebody, or I'm, and which I'm also a real big stickler of assigning people to come pick up folks and not getting out of your stand and walking and do. I don't like doing that. Good um, for you. I'm I'm waiting. I'm sitting there. It's pitch black, and I get a text saying, uh, "Shot a doe. Uh, had to go get the dog. I'm gonna be late." I'm like, I don't care. I'll sit here and just. Pitch black silence. Especially if it's a full moon or yeah, something. Yeah, That's you know, it's, it's pitch black silence, and I'm outside. So, yeah, just come and get me whenever. To me, that, like, the anticipation, the adrenaline that you get, anticipating that, that he's going to show up, and then he doesn't, 
you you get this. I do. I get this sense of calm about me. It's like the hunt's over. I'm going to chill out here and wait on my ride. Or if I'm the driver, well, I'm going to sit here and it may take me 15 minutes to get back to the bike because, you know, I'm going to make absolutely certain there's no deer in this plot. And then I'm going to climb down and stand at the ladder for a while. And then I'm going to walk over to the tree line and stand there for a while and just work my way back to the bike. Still, it's like the adrenaline rush is over and now it's, there's this calm about me. That that makes, I mean, to hear him tell that. that I mean, I, I think we all oh, go yeah. through those. We just haven't verbalized it as well as he did. Mm. But so, Mike, let's let's talk about antlers just a little bit, and oh, yeah. and how oh, yeah. they are uh, 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 in many cases uh, like these properties. I, I so I, what I, where I'm trying to go with this is you've I think you've got to hunt a lot of really good properties in I your have. in your hunting career, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that we can learn something from you. Of like, boy, the, the best properties always have this, this, and this, and so mm-hmm. yeah. one of the things that motivates all of us to put the work in to do what we do is we're trying to grow a bit a bigger deer. Yeah, we're antler junkies. Yeah. We, we are. <laughs> yeah, I am too for it's, sure. Yeah, I think anybody that's not is lying. Well, I'll it's just a, go it's ahead a and miraculous say that. thing. I mean, this this critter can, you know, pretty much grow hundred of inches of bones on his head in a matter of months. It's one of the most fascinating things about them. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you yeah. know. I mean, yeah. isn't it one of the fastest growing substances in the Tissue, world? Yeah. Tissues. Yeah, yeah. It, it is remarkable. And it, you know, I have, Bobby, to your question, yes, I have been fortunate to hunt some nice properties. In all of those situations, I worked my tail off to be there. You mm-hmm. know, I was work, I was hunting, I hunt properties that I work on. Um, and not just go and do some consulting, but I plant. I, I'm, I ride. I do the work, and and That's therefore where the comes in. I'm invested in it, you know, physically and emotionally, and as a a scientist, if you will. And um, so, in other words, this isn't somewhere you just show up as a guest and no, get to I don't, hunt. I don't do that. Right. No. I I mean I, I'm not faulting anyone for doing that. It just means so much more to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. To know that I did the work, and particularly if it's deer that I've been watching for years. You know, I've been seeing this same deer, or he disappeared when he was four, and now he's back when he's five. Or you know, when I when I take that animal, and even if I didn't know who he was, I realized that what he's carrying around on his head was because of my sweat and my mind, and that that makes it more important, more impactful, more meaningful to me. Um, the one thing you got to be able to grow big deer in the area you're in. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the the reality of it. If you're, if you're satisfied with the quality of deer that are in your area at their maximum potential, then you should be happy. If you're not, then, you know, there are certain areas of this planet that produce generally produce bigger deer. And, and I've hunted both. I've hunted nice properties that are in prime primo areas where, if you don't do anything, the deer grow big. But if you manage for them, <laughs> they grow really big. Yeah. Uh, and I've hunted properties that, you know, I hunt a property right now that, um, I mean, the maximum, and not saying this is not, I mean, 160-inch deer is a, is a whole lot of deer. Yes. But for <laughs> that area, that's about as, I mean, that is, that's as big as they get. And I'm tickled to death with 
with that, and it doesn't have. I'm not a big scoring guy, you know. I, I I do score every deer that I kill, uh, but I don't. I don't post scores. I don't think about the scores. But it's important to me to know he taped out at whatever, because then I can go back and look at him if I know who he was. I can go back and look at him through time and understand. Where was his deficiencies? You know, you can look at a picture of a deer all day long, and when you get them in hand, you see things you just didn't realize. You, you didn't realize that their 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 rostrum, their nose was a little shorter than average, or their ear wasn't six mm-hmm. inches from inside. That maybe it was five and three quarters. And you've been measuring these things, scoring them on the hoof, and in reality, you were overestimating it by four inches or whatever. Conversely, I killed a deer back years ago, two thousand. 13, 14. He ended up, I had pictures of this deer. I thought he was, I thought he was maybe 158 to 162, something in that. Beautiful 10 point. He taped out 175. Oh my goodness. Because he was a horse. He was literally, he's the longest deer I've ever seen. You can misjudge him quick. Yeah, he weighed 280 pounds. And he looked like a thoroughbred horse laying there. And I had misjudged his ears were actually almost seven inches long. Mm. Well, I had been scoring him based on these things that I thought. And, and when I taped that deer out, I, I can still remember this. I stood there in awe. I was like, that is a lot of animal there. And we produced that. You know? mm-hmm. We grew that. Wow. You know? That's a big body for the South. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Shoot, yeah. Although they get that way. The Mississippi that's, Delta grows. That's in the – that's well, this is a Louisiana <clears throat> Delta. And, mm-hmm. um, Same thing. I mean, we've, we've, we've had deer that, that tapped our scales out at 300 pounds. Four-footer rich topsoil. Oh, yeah. Put it on them. You know, it's an interesting dynamic because everybody's got – you know, everybody's got a different opinion about <clears throat> the antlers. Yeah, there's a saying about that too, Bobby. (laughs) There is. But when we go through this, you know, some people are, uh, uh, you know, if you're only in it for the antlers, uh, you know, there's there's a crowd that kind of looks down their nose at you a little bit for that, and then, you know, so there's there's got to be a balance in there somewhere. The happy medium, and then and then every if, what makes you happy is what you yeah. You that's need a, to let me just say there's a, there's a very simple philosophy we try to use. I've said it back when it was just me and Bill and Cuss here. I mean, I think it's appropriate for the Mossy Oak business. I think it's very appropriate to pass along to people for deer hunting too. And it's like always happy, never satisfied. <laughs> And those seems like contradictions, but they don't have no. to be. So what I cry about sometimes, you know, like literally, is when you see people so disappointed in their place and the deer weren't big enough and I shot this deer and he had shorter points. And I'm like, you should never be like that. It should be always something you're totally happy with. At the same time, there's nothing wrong with always wanting to do better, yeah. make the place it can be, best it can be, help your deer get better and shooting for better and better, higher and higher, you know. Whatever the word is, excellence for your place, yeah, for your deer, for your score. Backwards, right? yeah, yeah, but if yeah. you're not having fun, then guess what you're doing? You're 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 the worst crime of all in life. You're wasting your time, and yeah. you can't get that time back. Yeah. So, it's just think of it in those terms. You can do. You can walk and chew gum. You can be really happy without all and happy with the deer, but you're still not satisfied. Mm. So, some of these better places you've hunted through the years, I, I'd like to think that, like when when kids were 
taken there that some of the restrictions were lifted off of those kids on early hunts so that they could just experience a deer hunt. We, uh-huh. we seem to find that that seems to work best with kids oh, yeah, and just, sure. just saying, Hey, get after it and it, it just, and, and enjoy it and not put those pressures on, on, on a young kid. Like, like, Hey, Lanny, mm-hmm. you know, not making him say, well, it's gotta be 125 inch. But you know, a lot of the kids, if you, they, they understand, What's going on in today's world? I don't think you should hide it from them, but you could say, you know, you know, I, Dad's probably going to wait, you know, and we're looking for one that's a little older or whatever. But quite honestly, I mean, you can shoot anything you want to. Some kids are going to be if it's brown, it's down, and I know uh, particularly several kids. They're like, and you know, the dads tell me about no, he really wanted uh, Lanny's got one. Uh-huh. He's really no, I really wanted to wait on something older, you know. Uh, our buddy Jason Game Warden, his son. Really, really good about that. In fact, he's begging him to shoot deer. He's like, Dad, how old is that deer? He's probably four years old, and I'm going to wait, Dad. You know, just let them make the decision is yeah. the big thing. They feed off the example. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, yeah. kids feed If they want to wait, let them wait. But you're right. You shouldn't make them feel the pressure to, yeah. to, to not, you know. So that's what I was going to ask is, have you seen some rules, some of these places put rules in places that worked better than others? For Yeah, I mean – the and, worst thing is the eight or better rule. That yeah, are, no, no, that's none of the that. worst thing in we, deer um, management. We all the the properties that I hunt, we we manage based on age. There you go. And but to your point, Bobby, you know, with kids, sometimes sure there's a relaxation of of that strategy, but without rules in place, there's anarchy, right? And so some of the rules that I've that I've seen that work the best. Um, were you know restrictions on access restrictions on hey if you're you know if you're going to go hunt you need to do it between these times and these times we're going to stay out of this area um we're we're going to only shoot bucks that are a certain age or older unless we've identified them as being you know you always run across animals that are he's got a broken foot or he's got you know issues that come up where but with kids what what i've noticed in my own experience and I've hunted with a lot of kids, including my own. They will go. They will follow whatever example you mm-hmm. give them. And if they, if the, all they know is we're going to start our season out, we're going to shoot a couple of does. Then they get the lust out, and and they see they they they're they're successful. And then they see that their dad or their mentors are willing to be patient. They're willing. They understand the program. They understand the science. They understand that. It's not just about killing. It's about the gamekeeper's mentality. We're going. This is a process we're going through, and you're part of that process, young man or young woman. So if you're going to hunt this property, you're going to become part of that process. And part of that process is we're very careful. We're very deliberate with our harvest decisions. And if you're willing to do that, you can look on the wall and see, you know, what you're, what's out there. And... Then I've seen when kids are around somebody, it doesn't have to be them, doesn't have to be their dad or their their mom, but if they're there when a really nice animal's harvested, they're hooked. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because to Toxie's point, the next time they get in that stand, how old is that deer? How old is that deer? Is that uh, I don't know. You know, for instance, one of the properties I hunt, we put you know QDMA placards in there that you know you remember the old. Or age this, you know, type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've sat there with kids and had them 
literally spent the entire hunt. That's the, a great idea. To the point where I, I couldn't even that. focus on what I was doing is, Mr. Mike, what, I don't understand. That that one, it says it's, it should be four, but you just called that one four. You know? And then I'm like, okay, look, here's the bottom line. It's, it's January. The rut's been on. They've lost 40 pounds. And, you know, or, hey, it's October. He's fattening up. He doesn't look like he's going to look. You know, And you go through these scenarios with them, and they become a sponge. And when they become a sponge, that's, that's when you don't have to have a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. Mm-hmm. When they become a sponge and they become a steward, that the rules aren't they're not rules anymore they're just things that we hunt by if you will they just become part of the program so let me let me bring up a scenario here just say you're in a hunting camp with five or six folks on a thousand acres mm-hmm. what uh and you know i've seen how successful you and austin have been over the years with killing all these mature deer that you target what are some specific rules? Like if you were in a, in a club with a group of folks, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't know all, you know, they, they aren't all your best sure, friends. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, what are some just standard rules, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about maybe deer pressure, mm-hmm. that y'all would instill to, to where you're seeing more mature deer during, you know, what, what are some things y'all have been doing? That, first that's first been thing I off? think that everybody that's in, a, in that scenario that you just mentioned you hear it all the time. Well, we got to be on the same page. Well, what does the same page mean? The first thing is greed can't become part of the equation. Uh, I used to tell Austin this all the time. I, I tell people all the time. If you're patient, everybody's going to be successful. We're all going to be successful. We're doing the right thing. The animals are here. Just chill out. If Toxie kills a really nice deer this, you know, early in the season, Laney kills one, it, your time's coming. Just put your time in and hunt smart. Let's make sure we're all on the same page because if we're not, then this is not going to be successful. And being on the same page means you have to take your pride and set it aside. You have to sometimes be willing to eat it and say, and we do this at my camps all the time. Where are you going to go? Uh, I was thinking about going to, to number three. What about you? I was like, well, I was thinking about going to three, two, but oh, no, 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 I didn't know, man. You go three, I'll go to one. I'll drop you off. Type of thing. Be selfless. Be that's, part of that's it. That's a tough one for some people. It yeah. is, but yeah. if if you if you got five or six people and you're all on the same page and you're all willing to treasure the successes of your partners, not just your own, then you'll be successful. If you're not, your own greed and your own pride will undermine that eventually, and you see it all the time. Yeah, you do all the time. So I gotta say this in listening to him, it's so important. It just occurred to me like a just like a spotlight hitting something. Um so important we talk about this and the deer and you know, the smartest thing to do for your deer and whatever. Probably the most important topic we've touched on is taking kids, introducing people and taking you know, spending that time in it and what I was gonna get at for some great advice for people would be there's kind of two ways to go about it in their first journey. And one of them is about me and one of them is about nature. And my point is the me, me, me is the ego side. 
I don't shoot deer like this. We only shoot big bucks here, you know. You know, and it's like your ego and your pride, and that's the bad side of deer hunting. And if you introduce it in that form, you probably could expect bad things down the road. More of that, or they get turned off by whatever. But when you introduce it like Doc, and it's all about nature, and we're doing these things to help these deer be the best we can be. And, yeah, it's part of the pride we have in it, but it's all about nature, you know, which is being a biologist and a scientist is the epitome of that. It's a different revelation for them and why we have these certain disciplines than if you do it like it's about the results, it's about the deer, it's about the bragging rights, it's about what he scored. And I hope I can describe that right for people. There's just a little nuance to the way you introduce them to them and talk about it. They can make all the difference in their whole life. I think that's really, really important because he, mm-hmm. he did just that. And he went through all these things. It sounds like it would be almost egotistical in the way we approach deer hunting if you didn't position it right. But all you got to remember, it all goes back to nature and your place and the deer and doing what's best for them and helping them be the best they can be. And then it's all good. You want one of the, to your point, Dudley, one of the things, and this may sound ridiculous, but one of the things that I see when I take kids hunting that is some, it's so easy of an oversight. I'll ask them, do you have binoculars with you? That's a great, no, sir. And I'll always say, okay, I got a pair. I got a pair in my bag here. You, you put that kid in that stand and as soon as they touch that phone, you take it out of their hand and you give them a pair of binoculars. Mm-hmm. And especially I, when there's already deer out to look at. Yeah, but know. even not, even beforehand, when you're just sitting there waiting, you know, I'll hand that that kid uh, some glass and say, "Hey, you see that that cardinal that's over there in the corner? What, what are you talking about?" I was like, "You see that cardinal that's in that hawthorn bush over there?" Oh yeah, yeah. And they start glass and say, "All right, go back behind that. You see that tree to the left there? Wow. Yeah, I shot a doe there one year, and then I'll tell them about the hunt. And then five minutes later, and next thing you know, this kid—I promise you—you you try it. They're going to be sitting there doing nothing but glassing around them, and and in every second, they're learning something about their environment. They're seeing this. What kind of bird is that? Well, that's a black-capped chickadee, or, or Carolina chickadee, or whatever it is. Um, hey. Did you? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Next thing you know, they're yeah. their first one to see. Here comes a deer. Oh no, no, that's a squirrel. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> you know, and you hear it all the time because Boy, they're so sitting there. I'm reliving it as he yeah. says. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, and it's because they've got that glass in their hand, and they're they're vested in the hunt now. And I can't tell you how many times it, it's almost every time the kid is the first one to see the first deer every time because yeah. once their glass is in their hand. It's a job to them, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, we everywhere I hunt, we have we have clipboards in our stand, or we make notes on our phones. You know, bucks, does, fawns, wind direction, wind speed, moon phase, all these things. We, wow. we record it. So I, you know, when I had my own kids and every kid I've ever hunted with, I'd let them be the clipboard manager. You know, and next thing you know, you got an eight or nine year old in there, and they're like, "Okay, what is it? What is that? What do you think? I, it looks like a fawn. That's right." All right, put a fawn tally on there. And the next thing you know, as soon as deer come out, they want to identify what it is and put it on that clipboard. Is it eight points or better? Okay, put it on the clipboard. I mean, and the hunt, they become part of the hunt. 
if if they are mm-hmm. if they're engaged in it, not just sitting there on you know on their phones looking around. You go, oh, here comes a doe. You ready to shoot? I don't do that. I just don't. I don't do that. And I think we're undermining ourselves, and we're if we're doing that, we're almost trying not to recruit that person to become one of us because we're allowing them to not be immersed in the hunt. We're allowing it. We're actually facilitating it. It's not we're letting it happen. We're actually doing it. And that, to me, is self-defeating. Mm. Wow. That's a, a fantastic point. No, yeah, it is. No doubt about it. Several things you can point out on that. The, the person I would say is – I feel very unorganized, <laughs> which is not an unusual thing for yeah. me. But we definitely that's that's impressive. But the, the it all pointed back to, to my point earlier. It all pointed on back to nature, and not the phone, and not the you know not the results. Because yeah. if they're there to shoot a deer, and that's all we talk about, and all you're talk about before the hunt and point them to, and that, then we have missed the point. And then it's so, over with. Yeah, they kill the deer. Mm-hmm. And you go back to the skin and shed, and it's their first deer, and they, they spent two and a half hours in the stand. They shot a doe. They checked that box off, and they move on. And, you know, it, it, you, I don't even know who made this this quote or who's actually said this, but, you know, failure breeds success. And the kids that I've hunted with that, that I've seen, and, and some of these, I, I'll call them kids, or teenagers when I met them. They were young men when I met them are now grown with their own kids. I've been hunting with these these men for their entire lives. And them failing is what made made them the deer hunters they are. Mm-hmm. And in my my camp in Louisiana, I'd put those guys up against any deer hunters in this country. These guys can kill deer. But they're they're managers, they're stewards. They they were a part of a process and they all bought in. They all we're on the same page. And, and, of course, we all have our arguments through the years and our disagreements. I think he's five. I think he's four. Well, you know what? If we're not on the same page here, then it doesn't matter how old he is. Let's let's just back up here. Let's, let's revisit where we're headed here. And how did we get to where we are now? Um, but one thing I've seen with these, with these young people that have become really talented, really good hunters, is they were willing to be part of a process – and not just be, I want to kill and move away. It's, I'm, I'm willing to fail over and over and over, knowing ultimately I'll be successful. And it just took being around people that were successful for them to see that. So before we move off of kids, because this is such an important topic, go back in your mind to the first deer that you harvested and the scenario there. And, and, and what, it was what, a doe fawn. I remember. And what happened to, to make, turn you to so that where you turned and said, I, this, I'm into this. What, what, what happened there? It, it started with me before I ever, way before I ever killed that deer. Uh, my dad was a weekend warrior. He worked his tail off. He owned his own business and he worked really hard. And in Virginia, you could only, you couldn't hunt on Sunday. So our weekend hunt was a Saturday. And I would look forward, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with my dad during the week because he was working all the time. And when he'd come home, he'd smell of grease and he was a mechanic and he'd smell of grease. And um, it was dark when he left and dark when he came home, you know. So I was I was doing, you know, I was in the bed when he left and I was doing homework or eating when he came home every day. So Saturday was that's that's our time. Well, just going to the camp with him. 
and getting out in the woods, that was, that was what hooked me. It, mm-hmm. it, I had nothing to do with the deer, but once, to be honest with you, once I got around these older guys, you know, that were cutting up and, and being, having fun because they were in their element, they were out there doing their thing. It just bred this desire in me to, to I want to be part of that because I saw how much fun I saw how visceral it was I saw you know that gleam in their eye that it was finally Saturday and they could go get in a deer stand and it didn't matter if they killed a deer or not they were just as happy laughing cutting up and at that club where I grew up at the end of the day we would split all the meat up so if you killed three bucks you know were killed that Saturday you'd split all the meat up so you were always going to get a little piece of meat to take home. Now, sometimes it was a shoulder or something, you know. <laughs> but sometimes it was a piece of hindquarter, you know. And, and so you'd, you'd be I'd, – I'd get to take something home on most hunts, and I didn't have to kill it. And then this doe fawn comes along, and I didn't care. It did. I mean, it was doe season. Right on, it's down. <laughs> and it didn't matter if she was big or small or, I mean. That's it, right. And they probably made I'm you feel hunting. real important, too. When oh, you yeah. Came I, back I, I shoot this doe, oh and she, I'll never forget this. She, she was running. Uh, another hunter was walking out and bumped her, and she was running. I made a really good shot uh, with a shotgun, and, and she slid in. She fell into a creek. And I can still remember her walking up to the creek and looking over the bank and seeing her laying there. I did it. And I was, I, I did. I was like, oh, my God, I just killed it. I killed my first deer, you know. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, well, well, well unload the gun. First, you know, I'm shaking. I'm, now I'm like, well, I'm by myself. How do, I get, how do I get this thing out of there? Luckily, see, it was fate. She was tiny. So it really didn't <laughs> take that much for, you know, a 10- or 11-year-old or whatever it was to get her up the bank. And uh, and get her out of there, and you know, from then on, it was. And then I remember distinctly, if you killed the deer, you got your choice of meat. Oh yeah. And I distinctly remember the pride I felt with being able to cut that loin out of that doe, and it wasn't a lot of loin; it was a small piece. And oh, putting that in did. the truck, in that on that freezer paper, and walking it in my house, and mm-hmm. telling my mom because there were no phones, right, no cell phones. She didn't know I killed my first deer until I came in with, with blood on my face, and you know, and and this grin ear to ear. I never forget being able to put that on the counter and saying, "That's mine." Now, my mom was not a hunter; she was she was an anti-hunter. Interestingly enough. She didn't participate in it, and she didn't think too highly of it, and, and she didn't like cooking wild meat because she wouldn't eat it. Wow. So my dad would would grill the venison, and I remember looking forward to our. I asked him to, and I don't remember if he did it or not, but I was like, "You label that one mine when you put the you know the packs in the freezer. You label it mine because I want to know when I'm eating my deer, mm-hmm. and I still do that to this day. So, I still yeah. I label them. So I got to say, Mister Fox's. You know, being raised by him was like amazing. And it, but he was, it wasn't, it was, you know, he wasn't the guy. He was definitely not the guy to, you know, say no, no, no all the time and overcorrection stuff. You know, he very seldom did. And just the main thing is, when he did, he meant it. I remember going out and uh, got the gun. He would let me handle a gun by myself. And when he wasn't there, it was like a little double barrel four ten. He he was on the road all the time too. I never mm-hmm. saw him till late at night. But he got back home. And I'd killed a rabbit on my own and brought it back to the house and had actually cleaned it, not very, 
you know, pretty sloppy. But and he said, "I'm so proud of you, son. One of the top things for a young man to become a, a boy to become a man is to be able to go out and bring home meat for the family." Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was so old fashioned sounding, but it's like, wow. I felt so proud of what I'd done, and it kind of clicked in my mind. You know, in a way, he made a point. And there's one of those, I don't know how many, if there's a dozen little seminal or important little points in being developed as a kid. But the fact that he let me know that it was important to him that I'd taken a step forward, I could bring meat home to the family. Mm-hmm. It put hunting in the right perspective, yeah. too. Yeah, you become a provider. Lanny, do you remember your first deer? Oh, yeah. Can you I tell can... us that story? Oh, yeah. I'll never forget it. I dreamed of – I used to have a recurring dream when I was real young that I would kill my first deer and I would walk up to it and the horns would fall off of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how obsessed I was with it. That's the truth. <laughs> uh, but uh, first deer was we – uh, was I, don't, I, I think I was somewhere around Sardis, uh, Sardis, Mississippi. My dad had taken me over there hunting, and uh, 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 what I thought was a doe came out and shot it and ran up there to it, and it had nubbins on it, and I was fired up. It gave me a first buck. <laughs> were dogs chasing that? Deer? No, we were not. We weren't dog hunting. Yeah, I did grow up uh, around a lot of of the dog hunting community for sure. It was interesting though. I tried. I don't. I don't. It wasn't. A, I, I mean. I just always was hunting. Uh, I, wherever they would hunt, I would go to the opposite end of the property. But I, mean, I, I grew up as hunting with dogs. Mm-hmm. That's how we grew up. That's, exactly that's how I was introduced yeah. to it. And love I it, won't man. even tell you how many deer I killed in front of mm-hmm. dogs yeah. before. And one yeah. of the one of the reasons I ended up where I'm at is because I, I'm still you know a dog fanatic. Oh yeah. Dogs, but I loved following the dogs. Oh yeah, that's what it's about. And you know the dog drivers had this mystique to me. Because they were there, they were. I thought they were in the heart of the hunt, which you realize pretty quick. Sometimes you're not, but just walking around all morning, mm-hmm. all afternoon, following those dogs, trying to put myself in positions where, you know, institutional knowledge. Because my dad had said, or the one of the old, older guys had said, you know what? If you when you're in this bottom, you know, dog strike, you need to be down here. Mm-hmm. You need to be up here. You know, and walking around and. Mm-hmm seeing things and learning things and wondering what is that plant, you know? So I'd make a mental image, you know, cause I could see deer had been browsing and what is that? And I'd go back and, you know, go to school and start piddling around and asking, you know, it's a plant that it's got, the leaves are opposite. Like they, they go this way type of thing. And the leaf looks like this. And that's part of what instilled the passion for the outdoors with me was immersing myself in it all the time when I was walking around, thinking a dog was going to run mm-hmm. a deer by me. And I don't think I've ever killed a deer as a dog driver. Maybe I did. I did the same thing. I, it would I loved it. Blow my, I want to know it every track, every yeah. stick, every everything. I would yeah. carry books out there with me and be like, what is this, what is this, yeah. what is this, try to draw it. But. See, Bobby did too. I grew up hunting in Alabama, and it was a deer a day. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, antlers visible above hairline, that's what it said. So, you know. That's what y'all did. I, that's what, that's we, what did. we did. Lanny, did they put blood on your face? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. Do you remember your first deer? Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. I I remember it was on a deer drive, and I still remember the. uh, it was at a place called Sand Hill Creek as a part of the place we hunted. Of course, it was, you know, we're the same place Mossy Oak came from at Choctaw Mm -hmm. Bluff. And I had a 20-gauge with buckshot, and I think it was a three-point maybe. can't remember. It wasn't a a cow horn. You know, they they differentiated back then because they had too many deer. 
and it was overpopulated, and they didn't get real, real big. But they differentiated between a spike and a cow horn. Because in their mind, a spike was a year old deer, but a cow horn had gotten older, mm-hmm. which is probably not true. Now, Mine anyway. was definitely a spike. But <laughs> it came up, and I shot, and it wheeled around to run off and shot again, and then it went off and died. And I still remember one of the guys that was driving, and uh, he was there, and he was like, Killed your first deer, and he kind of—he was the first person to see. I could be proud in front of him. He was coming on through, and I still remember. And Daddy said, "How about those hills, Robert?" He said, "Man, you can stand, stand flat-footed and kiss the ground back there, Mister Fox." <laughs> 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 and so, anyway, I was so proud and got my face bloodied and everything. I still got pictures of that too. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, I was so proud. That's a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah. because I think I'd missed like four or five. Oh, is that oh, right? Oh gosh, oh, I, I missed I a, I missed a bunch of deer when I first started. Oh, all with the shotgun. That bring too. tears to your eyes. Me too. too. Yeah. Missed, so if I you're driving or dogging, it it's not as easy as when you're sitting in the stand. No, not no. at all. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. So what about you, Dudley? Um, you know, I almost got spoiled. My my dad took me over and over to our family place in Holmes County, and it was it was one of those places where if you saw a deer track, you would go tell people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Uh, he would get lucky, you know, once a year uh, during our muzzleloader season, which was kind of heavy pre-rut. Yeah, he would was, end up getting good, lucky yep. on a buck or something. That was a good one. And I would go, and he'd drop me in a, in a, you know, we would sit together some, sometimes separate, and I just got bored with it because I would sit there and never see anything. Wow. And, uh, you know, from maybe seven or eight years old till I was about 11 or 12, and then uh, – one time he got in, invited to uh, uh, turkey friends. Uh, Miss Eleanor invited me to this place called Ward Lake uh, near Clarksdale, Mississippi. I know right where it is. And uh, her family owned a lot of that land, and so she had a membership. And, and it was the exact opposite. So we go out on opening morning of gun season, and you see like a flock of 100 deer just running through the woods, herd, you know, herd, whatever, browse line as far as you can see. And then we get in this shooting house and, uh, I think I saw over a hundred deer in one hunt. Good gosh. And, uh, I remember we saw a six point, but they were brand new on D map and, uh, we weren't members. So I wasn't allowed to shoot it, but, uh, I shot a, a doe and, uh, so we, it was very exciting. I was shooting Dad's thirty out six with the butt of the gun under my shoulder. Oh yeah! Somehow I didn't get scoped, and uh, it was when D Map was brand new in Mississippi, and uh, we took it and weighed it. It weighed one hundred and ten pounds. I remember that. Wow! Took the jawbone out. It was probably eighty-seven or so. They bloodied your face. Bloodied my face. Yeah, that's so. good. It was a fun memory. Yeah, I still remember the bloody. There was an older gentleman there that said, "Now, son, you need to let that stuff. If you, I know it's it's messy and everything, but if you let it dry for two or three hours, it'll peel off real easy." <laughs> <laughs> I like to never scrub the blood off my. Yeah, face. and then I, I remember my first buck was with my dad's muzzleloader at, at my farm in Holmes County, and. Uh, this man grabbed the whole liver out of the gut yep. pile and just held me down and just wiped it all over yep. my face. And I remember that the gag reflex kicked in, but I didn't throw up. Oh, wow. What about you, Bob? Yeah, well, maybe. Numero uno. I've heard this very, story. Very, it's a good very one. similar to, to you guys. Uh, uh, you know, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, Bullitt County uh, around the Pea River Swamp and being about 
14 years old. Not far from Union Springs, yeah, then, were you? No, very close, yeah. Had a farm. Uh, Jimmy Phillips had a farm down there, and I got to hunt on it a lot when I was young, and it had a lot of deer. I learned a lot down there, so. But I was kind of by myself, so I didn't have the blood put on my face. Uh, uh, solo. You know, you oh, guys. you never. Oh, no wonder you've had the Indian curse all these years. We can, we can fix that. Yeah, I don't need my head hung down. So there. wasn't this like a quail place that you were allowed to deer hunt? That was a little. Thing? That was a little later on. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, so so but, you thought yours was a doe and ended up being a spike? Going with it, it, it was exactly what it was. You know? <laughs> look, look at this big doe and kill it. Huh? That thing's got some. You know, every time the fifty-fifty rule with my kids, you know, like yeah. one deer standing there, I'm like, no, that's fifty-fifty. I think about that. I was like, every time. Yeah, no, I mean, that's another thing with kids too. Don't if they make a mistake. Whoopee. Don't make a big deal. Oh, yeah, out of no, it. The deer's good. dead already, so don't. Hayden make, laid one yeah. down last year. I'm like, sweet meat, buddy. Don't push let's them go. down. Yeah. I yeah. say this all the time with not just kids, with adults, too. That's right. Oh, you know just, what? It's right. a deer. Yeah, especially it's deer. if it's their first I don't deer. think I've ever, you know, I could be like, great job. And I lean over here and just, you know, because <laughs> it's hard to. But the, the biggest thing, if you have an adult and you know they consciously did it, and you want to get mad about it? Still don't. Don't make a fuss. No, with it. just don't. Just don't ever invite them back. Just don't invite them back. Is in in most circumstances, there was no malicious intent there. Yeah. And you know, if the person meant to make a mistake and they they undermined what you were trying to do, that's one thing. But in most cases, they didn't. That's, yeah, you know and I just tell. I told everybody that's ever been around me. It's it's deer. It's it's a deer. Let's move on. Yeah. Every time yeah. that happens at my place. Uh, with a guest or a friend, I, I remind myself of the three-year-old 12-point I shot. <laughs> He's up in the wall. We've got him in here. That I, had pictures, he that I had pictures <laughs> of and <laughs> knew to pass up, and the thing there just walked out and I shot it. I nothing nothing entered my brain about, oh, my gosh, that's the young 12. You know, just shot it. So I, It you happens. Know, we're all guilty. Yeah, but it's still a great deer. So yeah, it's a great one deer. thing I did get advice that helped me, and I would – you know, he's not here anymore. Bob Dixon was a brilliant deer hunter. And he had always, you know, so many people, if you take guests and they're eager, even some of the experience, they'll end up shooting a button buck, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. tough to stomach, but easy to do. And he taught me, I've done it, but it's been so rare since then. It's like, always look at their face. Mm-hmm. And you see that short head, that short face, just lay off. Oh, yeah. You know, because Fair in that, that way, in yeah. 99% of the time, you can tell if you're looking. If a deer walks out by itself and it's got a short face, chances are it's a button buck. Compare mm-hmm. that ear to that nose mm-hmm. and yep. figure out what you're looking at. Yep. So, look, I'd like to go through one more series of questions with you and ask about uh, the, these properties that you've hunted. That f- food plots and food sources have probably played a big part of uh-huh. helping manage that herd. For sure. And I, I wanted to ask you, what have you learned techniques of hunting food plots that that have worked for you guys some information that our listeners we could learn from yeah um a couple things that i've i've realized is one if you're hunting plots you need (laughs) you probably need to stay out of there in the morning that's one thing like we've talked about other thing is i i have in my mind the properties that I've hunted that have what I'll call destination plots, you know, areas where a deer is, he's going there. He may not get there until eight o'clock at night, but that's where he's headed versus say, a, 
you know, plot that's between two bedding areas that's really just getting traffic, if you will. Those those smaller plots that are just getting traffic can be very, in my experience, can be difficult to hunt. I've had these conversations with people that I've hunted with. You're not going to go to, yeah, I think I'm going to go there. And just hold up, man. Look at the wind charts. We we maintain wind charts on these properties where, you know, you can go pull the laminated wind chart out right there in the skinning room and see that northwest wind, that's the time to hunt that stand. Any south prevailing wind, don't walk in there. Mm. You know, sometimes it takes, hey, man, um, the reason I wasn't going to go there is because the wind's got a little bit of east in it. And, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. You know, it kind of talk through it. And that is unavoidable, but... I think again, back to being on the same page. If if everyone's on the same page with the objective, then sometimes sitting out is just something you do. You know, and and I, you know, I people are going to listen to this. And go, you got to be. I won't get to hunt, but six days, you know, a fall or eight. Yeah, days. I'm going to go to the spot I want to exactly. go to. Exactly, and I understand that as well. I mean, not everybody's in a scenario where they can where they can do that. And but if you are. Yeah. Try, try to be careful. And so uh, another tip that I want to circle back to that I think you kind of alluded to is is someone, if you're in a field or that if it's got deer in it, you've got a pre uh, – you've got, you, you guys have made a plan. Somebody's going to come and ride up and run those deer out of the field. Yes, and, every time. And that way they don't see you coming out of the stand. Yep. We'll, you know uh, – this is real interesting to me, the, the, this exact the, topic. The thing about, you know, cell phones in the stand, they glow, the light, flashlights, uh, climbing down and bumping deer, particularly does. You know, you get a, a group of, a couple matriarchal groups of does and fawns out there, and you, you go climbing down out of a box. You, you just spook the animals that are going to attract the buck that you want to be standing there, and he's he's going to come out there and be more comfortable if he's got other deer around him. So, you know, we'll make a plan ahead of time, and, and almost without exception, that plan breaks down. You know, somebody kills an animal or somebody is, we call it snowed in. You know, we're snowed in. We've got deer every, I've got deer everywhere around me. Okay, well, i tell you what. Sit tight. I, you know, I don't have anything out. I'm going to sneak out of here. I've got to go pick up Bob first, and then I'll, you know, that type of thing. And, again, back to what we were talking about earlier, some of my – favorite memories have just been sitting there after that hunt in the dark waiting on a ride those you know deer are so on deer are so used to us coming and going a polaris ranger or tractor driving by them and them running out of a food plot is not even close to what a man or woman mm-hmm. walking down the road past the plot it's a completely different image to them they associate a bike with a bike they associate a, a man or a woman with danger so I'm always willing to just sit tight and, and, and conversely, you know, we'll get a text string or something going and say, Hey, I, I need, somebody needs to come get me or, you know, or whatever. I, hey, I, okay. I'm cool. I have nothing out or I just shot a doe. I'll go get her while everything's clear and I'll be, I'll come and get you in, you know, a half what, hour. What if you're by yourself? What if you're hunting by yourself one <laughs> afternoon? Have you, do you have a technique of getting them out of the, the true. This is a true story. I was hunting a buck named Rock, for short for Rockstar. And this deer, and he was five years old at this time, and I wasn't going to shoot him. Okay. And the reason I wasn't going to is because 
he had exploded from a four-year-old. And I, I, I made the decision, if we lose this deer, we lose him. I, I'm not going back on my laurels here. I'm going to let this deer go. And my wife and kids were out of town for the weekend. I don't even remember where they were. And he walks out about 20 minutes after shooting hours. And there were, there were seven bucks in this plot. And the rut was starting, so they were chasing, and they, I mean, it was it was chaos. And I was like, "Oh, this is great," you know. And it was cool, you know. So you could sit there quietly and relax. And I knew there was nobody to cook. I mean, there's no dinner at home. I was going to eat a sandwich and drink a beer and go to bed, type of thing. So I just sat there. Well, lo and behold, here he comes. And in the moonlight, he he had a split G two on his left side, mm. and I see that split, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's rock." I sat there until nine fifteen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Two hours after he walked out, I could still see deer in that plot, and I it was it was right after nine that the plot cleared, and a, a coyote did it. And I think that I I wanted to shoot that coyote, but I obviously didn't. But that coyote cleared that plot out, and once he or she did, I climbed down and went out. I will sit until I will sit until I cannot detect an animal around me, whether through sight, sound. I've sat in stands in Louisiana because I could hear them walking in the mud, but I couldn't see them, you know, and they were off in the distance. I, I mean, I will go to great lengths to sit there, which is maddening if I'm picking somebody up, yeah. you know. Yeah. But that's just my that's my way of doing it. It seems like I've heard people howling like coyotes yeah. and trying to do that. I, I just don't know if that's a good idea or not. I, just my humble opinion, the worst thing you can do to mess up a spot is for one to smell you there. Mm-hmm. The second worst thing to do is them see you there. That's the worst. So, you know, I mean, I, I I think it's really smart if you can get someone else to pick you up or you can have something run them out that they don't associate with you, smelling you worst of all, or them seeing you. Uh, the bad thing about seeing you, if they see you in that stand. No, I'm going to tell you but I, 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 I'll say this. I cannot tell you how many times it holds true. Almost 100%. Nothing's 100%. Almost 100%. The first time I understand, even if I've gone through every precaution to get to it and get in it without, I know there's no way a deer knows I'm here. And I got down, I never spooked anything. The first time has almost always been the best. Yes. And it always, almost yes. always changes. Yes. It's, it is amazing how they know so much more than you think they do. Yeah, I have I tried, and I this has worked for me. Um, I'm throw this little ticket out there. Ticket. That's I carry like. I carry a bag like a shooting bag in my backpack that you could put up on a railing. I bought this thing years ago with my kids, so that even if there was a metal ledge or something, they could be nice and steady. And I always carry shooting sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I have to take a long shot and it's unavoidable, or if I'm just shook up which I get shook up when I shoot does. I've never shot a deer where I was calm. I've shot some deer where I was less calm or more calm, but I'll, I'll carry shooting sticks and, and put it under the stock and, you know, make sure I'm, I want to make the best shot I can. Well, I will take that bag and throw it out of the stand. If I've got deer that are under me that are uh. close enough and I'll, I'll take it. And in, in fact, I've hit deer with this, with this thing. <laughs> Like a big thud. Uh, I, I have dropped stuff in, intentionally, like smacked the side of the stand because there was a deer right under it. Deer didn't have any idea what was going on. 
the deer that were at the other end of the plot never heard it, but this deer spooked. And then you sit there in your binoculars and you watch, and they're like, well, why is he running off? Well, I guess I'll just run off too, and they'll, they'll tip off and climb down and ease my way out of there. Yeah. I've tried to, I've tried that trick. Now, I've also dropped that out of the window, and the deer just stood there and looked at it. Yeah. I had a four-point one time that I literally it, – it hit right beside his front foot, and he jumped up in the air, and when he did, all the deer went running off. It was five or six does out there. They all ran off, and he turned around and went back to the bag and started nosing it. So I was hmm. like, oh. and I remember saying, I was, I was telling Austin, I was like, look at this, this deer smelling this bag right here. And I just threw down, kid me. <laughs> All of a sudden, here comes a, a spike out. And he walks over to the bag, and they're both smelling this bag that had been in my hands and all in my backpack and everything. So it doesn't always work. It's not foolproof. It, it seems curious. to me like once it gets dark, they're not quite as wary. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've tried all kinds of stuff to, you know, I've, Tried to bark like a dog to clear the field, and sometimes they just look up, yeah, and then yeah. look back down and start eating. And I'm thinking, you know, why aren't they running off? Not, How many I'm times have you climbed down? And I, I mean, I've I've climbed out and out of stands and walked, you know, gotten to the base of the stand, and they never moved. I've I've done that a number of times. I've done. Yeah, yeah. blow at them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not I sure. The, if helped or the ticket is just not to overhunt a certain spot. You know, yeah. Toxic's point: the first gig is always the man. Best. Yeah. Make sure you don't mess it up and make <laughs> that first time the best you, you can. Count. And that's one reason. I mean, what I'm, I did for a little bit is like the magical, precious, keep it a secret at all costs, whatever thing is a great, great, great morning spot because you can hunt them a lot, mm-hmm. the right kind. And I think you got a better in our world, at least. You have a better chance of seeing a mature buck in a great morning spot than you are at food. Although the very beginning of the season, the best chance over food, I think, by far is first of both season. Mm-hmm. Even better than the rut. Oh yeah. I've killed a lot of nice deer in the mornings and almost all of them I I'm sitting here thinking about this one spot. I killed quite a few of them at this one mm-hmm. little ground blind. It's a tiny, tiny little food plot. And they eat it to the ground after two weeks after it you know, it, it germinates. But there's bedding areas on both sides, and there's water, and that water dictates their movement yeah, in the morning. It's funnels, and they they have to come by that spot to get where they're going if they're going to bed in that part of their home range. Mm-hmm. And I've killed quite a few deer in there, even though I did spook some walking in sometimes, because they were rolling through. You know, 20 minutes after daylight, head back to their bedding area, um, and I hunted that. I don't even know how many. I mean, I killed quite a few deer out of that little block. Yeah, don't say a number. The, uh, <laughs> I don't remember a number. The best spot I've ever known when I was a kid, so it was where I grew up, and they had a pretty high deer, density of deer. It was a – I've never seen that many deer consistently in a spot like it was. It was incredible. I won't even say how many you would see in the morning. Every time, in multiple, multiple bucks every time. But it was two pretty good-sized oxbow lakes that funneled up within about 100 yards of each other. But they were – it was funneling in three-quarters of a mile on each side of that uh-huh. if you added it all up. And it was at the border of a massive length of uh, hardwood swamp with a forest of, like, swamp chestnuts uh-huh. and stuff. Mature, mature stuff. But it bordered beyond that where they were coming from was, like, Pine, brush, clear cut, grown back up, just 
perfect bedding stuff, and it was right at the bedding. So, I mean, you you know, you, you get in a stand, you're looking at deer as soon as it got daylight. Mm-hmm. All morning. If you didn't, if you had your wind blowing the right way out of the funnel, you could watch deer all morning long, but it was right by where they bedded. Mm-hmm. I hunt a bunch of up and down hilly kind of stuff, and so we have to, I have to be obsessed with thermals. And uh, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. on flat ground, it, it's not quite as important. You look more at the wind, but. Do you find that in the morning that if you're adjacent to a field or the spot the sun hits first, that that air will rise first and the air will move towards that opening? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. For it's me, like a chimney. it does just about yep. every time. And then you got the dilemma of, you know, that's going, it's like whatever, that's going to be west. So I'm good for a little bit here. Well, but when that goes away, it's supposed to be an east wind today. So I it's videoed kind of that delay. before, that phenomenon. I videoed that with my cell phone. I was sitting in a plot that had a little small pond. Right. And the way the sun came up, it struck the pond first. All the air it's went to all, the pond. And I, I took a video of this. All It sucked all the air from across this plot, right. and there was a chimney effect, that, like fog. And that a, went up. a small opening in the woods can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, once you in the cold winter... Too. That's another thing Bob Dixon taught me. He said once, another thing, great thing about a good morning spot, once if you had a cold morning or a frost, it's been cold, when the whole earth heats up, everything's rising. Oh, yeah. And you can get by your yeah. scent so much better yeah. than in it's typically falling in an afternoon. Yeah. Hmm. Lanny, you got another question? Um, yeah. uh, are you on Facebook? I'm actually looking at my wind thermals right now. <laughs> <laughs> Dudley's got him curious. Yeah. You've got mail. So, so look, uh, guys, We've uh, I prepared a couple of trivia questions. I, I found out that Mike is a huge Smokey and the Bandit fan. Oh, oh god! Like watched the movie like two hundred times. Yeah. To and I think his wife. He, I think they even she, she gets a little frustrated with him watching this movie. He probably got a birthday cake with Smokey and the Bandit on. Well, so he kind of threw. I said, "Well, I'm gonna do a question on Smokey," and he said, "Oh, you you can't stump me." So, so <laughs> I love I've, it. I put together. Richie, could you could you? Who are we gonna be playing? But like these? Daniel and Neil can watch Joe Dirt and mouth every word for two straight hours of the movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> every single word. Well, yeah. I think that's the scenario we have here. We've got so, two aficionados. Of yeah, so I love Smokey. Yeah. Oh, that's and why he's so excited. Yeah, he's, he's, got a, he's got a brother in obsession. Yeah, so uh, so we're we're playing for one of our listeners, and so if you get these questions right, this uh, this person who left a review for us will win a prize. You know, Toxie's got a closet down there by his office, and we I've been oh, kind of he gives away stuff out of my gun safe I, all the time. And, uh, we, so we've got a yeah. uh, we've got an Allen gun case. Oh, nice! That uh, I can't remember who's the guy. I think Bobby's more excited to see who knows more about the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think this should be a he a feels cool. challenged by your wisdom. Yeah, well, no, so. I, yeah. So these aren't super tough questions, that, but I think. This so what if he actually does know more than you about the movie? Are you going to be fun. hurt? I bet he does. No, I bet he's. If you're a that. younger listener, uh, go watch this movie. It's a classic. Smokey and the Bandit. It's a great yeah. one. Buford T. Do y'all know what the T stands for? Well, is that a question? No, that's not a question. That's just a. I don't know. What it's I, I don't, oh, you I don't should have asked him that. One. I've always assumed it stood for. Turkey. I'm gonna say it's gonna stand for his middle. <laughs> it's his middle initial. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. All right, let, let's let's get started here, right, Richie. All right, so uh, he's gonna be playing for Adam B. Martin. Adam B. Martin, and he what? he left a really nice review. Thank you, Adam. And what does the B stand for? <laughs> <laughs> the Gamekeepers Podcast is not only extremely informative but also very entertaining. <laughs> Nothing wrong at all with learning a little and laughing a lot. 
Great group of guys and always a great guest. All right. Well, that's uh, well, so we got awesome. another great I don't know if, you know, know, if Bobby added that at the end or not. Or, or <laughs> That's exactly how he wrote it. Okay. So, all right, here we go. So, Smokey and the Bandit. All right. Who hired Bandit? That's the question. Who hired Bandit all right, for the, for the um, you know, at the beginning there? Who hired him? Can't remember his name. I can see his face. Oh my goodness! Uh oh, right off. Let me let Uh-oh. you come back to that one. Let's oh, move on. My, we my, can do my. a friend. Let's phone a friend. Well, phone a friend. Yep. You, you, you can call. Welcome Bobby. to Ask Toxie. No. He wasn't given ask... the opportunity. No, to nobody study knows up. these questions, so I, you can ask I, him. I, I, I can't remember his name. I'm a Forrest Gump guy, so. You can... Okay, so let's. Well, make... I mean, is it? Can you get any kind of description on him or anything like that? Or. Yeah, him and his sidekick. Oh, I remember his sidekick now. Is he a little dude? Short guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember his name. I don't think anybody really That's remembers their names. I know. You, know? you remember his name? Yeah, yes. Of course, was, he wrote the questions. It was Big Anus and Little Big Anus. Anus Big and Little Anus Burdett. <laughs> Burdett. Yeah. Yeah, that's big, right. Yeah. Big, big and Little Anus Burdett. All right, we have another one here. Yeah, let's move All right, on. at the Choke and Puke, where Buford T. Justice unknowingly shares counter space with the bandit, he places an order and asks Junior, you want something? What is Junior's response? Hush puppies. Yep, that's right. Hey, All right. Hush puppies, Daddy. Good job. We got no time for that <laughs> crap. <laughs> we got no time. We, that's our one Yeah. So See, that should oversee the first question. Yeah, it Because yeah, I not only got it right, but I knew what he said. Well, out. here's a bonus. We might, fi- we might uh, fix that in post then. Here, okay. here's, a, here's a bonus now. Okay. All right, here's, a, here, here's another one. All right. What was the handle of the truckers who warned Bandit of a county mounting at Fayetteville and I-82? What? what was the handle of the trucker who warned Bandit of That's a pretty county tough one, too. And Fayetteville and Highway 82, I-82. <laughs> I'm not sure Bobby knew these until he Googled them. Was it Silver Tongue Devil? Oh, my goodness. Oh! That's, that's it. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, right. That's it. Okay, so you to totally... You are Silver Tongue Devil. Mm-hmm. So, Richie, you overlooked the bonus question on number two. That'll redeem Mike here if he can, if he can answer I think he's one. already been All right, right, so the bonus question, then, what did the sheriff order uh, at lunch there with... Uh, Oh, yeah. A Diablo sandwich and a Dr. Pepper. Oh, my goodness. He was in a hurry, wasn't he? He was in so, a hurry. So, I know we're pushed for time. But do you have a question that you'd like to ask Bobby? That oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah, Bob. Yeah. He just loves to throw all these barbs out, but he doesn't this ever have to worry great. about income. anything with barbs there. So at the, at the end you of the movie, where, where was Bandit headed when he left Buford T. and Jr. on the side of the road there? Where they were headed for uh, another another journey. Oh, Come on, Bobby. This. No Google for you. Yeah. There was a circus or something that they were going to go to, wasn't it? Well, they were they were going for a a shipment, another shipment of something. I don't know, Mike. Clam chowder. That clam chowder. Was the first clam chowder shipment? It was some Coors Coors Light, Texas, Texas, Kansas. Some Colorado Kool Aid. Yeah, and they came right down eighty two. Highway eighty two. Yeah, here. It's such a great movie. There's some great one liners. Uh, It's classic. Timeless classic. Timeless. Put the evidence in the car, yeah. Junior. Yeah. <laughs> that car, but that it. car took a licking, didn't it? <laughs> he was such a funny man. Yeah, he, he was, was just yeah, such was. a funny man. <laughs> so, guys, all right, let's get back serious. Is there, Lanny, what, what did you learn today? Oh, I just, 
yeah, I actually listening to Mike talk about, you know, I'm I'm the antithesis of the way he hunts. There's no question about it. So uh, I need to spend more time in the stand. <laughs> That's what I need to learn. And, you know, it's always don't go in until it's right. Everybody knows that, but it can't be reinforced. That's enough. right. That's a good point. What about and you, stay guys? in there. You can't kill them if you're at the camp. You know? That's true. Yeah, I have a problem with overthinking where I'm going to go. Lanny, yes, Lanny can attest to that. It's one of my ADD problems. But um, I end up going to the same places over and over and repeatedly, even though I know I'm not supposed to. So yeah. I'm going to try my best to try more new spots. Trust your first instinct. Right? Yep. The first stand that comes to your mind. And That's what go. I do. I, I've gone through that game just like you. And first and, one. The and first I'm glad one. you reinforce the the afternoon thing and and coming in a little bit late in the morning. Mm. Yeah, you can sleep late then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like sleep that. late and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> right. Yeah. I only Toxie get up super happen. early for turkeys. Toxie, we appreciate you getting off the tractor and coming in here. What are you planting right now? Are you Rains working? are coming. Yeah. Duck food. Meh, meh. Yeah. It's time to do that for sure. So, yep. well, guys, look, the Gamekeeper Television Show is on Tuesday nights, and uh, guys, it's uh, you know the Outdoor Channel. It's also on Sling, Hulu, and Fubar, and so you can Fubar, Fubar. What does that say right there? Sling. Fubo. Fubo. Okay. Fubo. Well, so it's Fubo. one of those streaming services. We got the <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. I can't read my writing. So. That's what you get for letting Mr. Haney host the show, yeah. Richie. Yeah. So you guys uh, check out the Gamekeeper Television Show. We appreciate y'all listening to the podcast. We have a lot of fun doing this, yes, we and we do. hope y'all can learn something. And and Adam, you you won the gun case. So Boom. you'll. Get in touch with us. Uh, we'll get that shipped to you. Toxie, you got anything you want to close with? No, just so grateful for our friendship with Doc here. It's no doubt. bigger than the turkeys, and uh, that's kind of the cool thing about all of this. You know, business comes and go, podcasts and all, but when you get these, the friendships, they, you know, they last forever. Yep. So Absolutely. that's the cool yeah. thing. Yep. Yeah, he's got so much going on oh with gosh. all this research that he's doing, and mm-hmm. and uh, just to hear about it, and we we're just look. I've I've said it before. We want to help be the the wind underneath your wings, and I appreciate with that the support. Gamekeeper grants that Daniel has started, and we're we're, we're figuring out way more and more ways to yep. work together. So. We'll walk before you run, but we're definitely walking. No doubt about it. Yeah. Have you got anything you want to add before we get off there? No, just uh, I would just say, you know, slow down. Yeah. This fall. Just yeah. slow down. That's you what know, I learned. All we want to do is rush, 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 and uh, fall just like spring, you know. But slow down. Be in the moment. Yeah. It's a great – I know it's used a lot, but probably applied yeah. a lot. Live, live, live in the day and, and look Be where tomorrow. your feet are. Big time. Yeah. Take a deep breath this mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm. It'll be gone before you know it, and it'll be the end of deer season, and you'll be thinking about next next season. That's right. You know? nah, that's good advice. All right, guys. Well, uh, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.